1: In addition to my J.D., I'm also a master of the laws of taxation and also a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. Yes, bankruptcy law. It's positive. And that's because it intersects with just about every other area of the law. And it also intersects and helps parties in interest in on just about every rung of the political, uh, economic and um, a, a social food chain that there is out there because its ultimate goal is one that has a lot to do with the reason why people listen to this radio show. It's it's very, it's very faith-based in that if you have the faith to dig you and your family or your business out of an economic hole, there is a, a legal process that's Um, been developed by our constitution that will help the honest but unfortunate person dig themselves out of a financial hole and that thereby be able to get on with their lives in a very constructive and positive way. That's why I really love practicing bankruptcy law. Uh, Although uh, many of my clients at one point in our journey together are going to be so depressed and dejected and they want to give up. And so my job is to just keep pushing them towards the finish line. And um, the reward of being able to dig oneself out of a financial hole uh, uh, or helping people do that is very, very rewarding to me. Uh, So I also practice some related fields in my overall consumer and small business practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last almost 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous people. And because I grew up as a military brat and also helped create another one with my former spouse who was in the military. I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. And as such, I proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And I love to talk about my grandmas because they are the backbone. These are the women who taught me more about economics than than I learned in going to some advanced business schools. And that's because these women, they survived what I consider or describe as the four great economic challenges of the 20th century. That is to say, they survived and thrived in the Great Depression and throughout the privations of World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that, as bad as it is today, just think how bad it was for my grands when they were coming up as young women. And because these women helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South. It is out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me, along with my dad in spirit, urging me on to do the right thing, that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of adult, elder Uh, financial abuse and neglect that you could imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, or at least you don't have enough. You don't have a sufficient amount thereof for your overall finances and to sometimes make it. So, the focus of this show is to help us think about our overall finances and what we may need to consider to reclaim or rehabilitate our or our families or our businesses financial health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening education form. However, I'm, uh, as always, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, these shows strive strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully provide you with at least some of the key issues that you will need to assist you in your search and hopefully finding the qualified professional help I believe you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debt. So today we'll begin a discussion on what we all need to do to prepare for the hard economic times that may soon confront us all. As our economy appears to be cooling and heating up at the same time, which is kind of a strange thing to happen. But we're seeing some telltale signs of corporations, uh, most notably corporations in the high-tech industry, start to slow down the access that many of us had to these jobs. And some of them are even shedding workers. And at the very least, they're contemplating and thinking and taking a long time before they hire folks. And I also see this happening in the legal field and other professional uh, organizations that make up other knowledge workers, such as doctors and lawyers and engineers and economists and architects. Um, so, you know, historically it had always been, if you got a really great education and you learned um, some kind of knowledge worker skills, you could always find, you know, a job, even when other people didn't. But there seems to be a slowing down of the hiring in these areas. And so that's kind of troubling. Uh, to put uh, uh, us in uh, the frame of mind and provide some context, I wanted to share with you all an article from a Bloomberg newsletter uh, that I subscribe to entitled Wealth. Wealth. <laughs> For a newsletter that focuses on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families, its April 20th edition was rather sobering. It was written by its editor, Claire Ballantine, and it was short and not so sweet. Ms. Ballantine shared that she recently got a glimpse into the state of the U.S. economy in an unusual place the National Convention of Repo Agents. Um, she was at the North American Repossessor Summit in Orlando, Florida, The indus- where the industry had convened a, 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 a con- CONFAB to swap stories and to check out the latest in tow trucks. Now, the big takeaway what that she garnered from attending this uh, conference was boom times are coming for repo agents as Americans struggle to pay their bills. Um, She went on to say that one attendee told her that as the economy curves down their industry, the repo industry curves up. Now, thanks to interest rate heights, uh, elevated inflation, and mounting layoffs, the outlook for many in our economy is rather bleak. There's just not enough money to go around in most of our households. And when auto loan payments are neglected, the repo man comes a-calling. She goes on to say that delinquencies are also becoming more common among credit card users with the average interest rate at a record high. The total balances of all credit cards rose to almost one trillion dollars at the end of last year and is likely probably has climbed even higher since then. And that's a very troubling sign when people are putting everything on their credit card. And she goes on to talk about, you know, some of her colleagues, um, how what they're seeing, too, is a terrible thing. It's people buying groceries on credit. Think about that. You're buying the food to feed yourself and your children on credit. It's not a good thing to put consumables of any kind on credit, but especially consumables that only stay in your system for a maximum of 24 hours, and you're buying that on credit. So that's a big problem. Uh, So when we come back... Um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this buying food on credit, but um, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side.
2: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of some of the more troubling trends that may be signaling trouble ahead for our economy. Now, in another article that was published on uh, Bloomberg Wealth in the newsletter that I subscribe to online, and it's located at Bloomberg.com, more Americans are using buy now pay later services for groceries uh here's why that's a worrying sign and that's according to the author the uh who wrote this um this story a uh, Hand and um it was published on uh, originally back in March on March 23rd of 2023 and it's this process known as BNPL, which stands for buy now, pay later, pay later. And it has traditionally been used to spread out bigger payments over a period of weeks or months. You know, so for example, um, you know, buying a, a washing machine or, you know other major appliances that might cost now they cost a couple thousand dollars but you know it spread that out over time but you're you're using it and it's providing services all through the time that it's in use in your home but food again food goes through our system <laughs> it's supposed to go through our system rapidly so you've already consumed the food maybe weeks ago and you're still paying for it That's troubling. So let's just share what the article says. Um, People earning $20,000 to $50,000 a year, as well as Black, Hispanic, and female consumers tend to be more regular users of buy now and pay later services. Okay. Wow. Wow. Uh, This article is written by Frederick J. Brown, okay? And the concept of buy now, pay later has exploded in popularity in recent years. Americans have been using this form of lending in which the cost of a purchase is typically divided into four payments over several weeks or months to buy anything from, you know, clothing to a Peloton bicycle, but now there's a new trend. People are using the payment method for smaller items like groceries. Buy now, pay later refers to the payment. It's referred in the industry as BNPL. It's a new spin on the concept of layaway. Again, you know, I think layaway is a good thing. In fact, you know, that's when I was growing up, that's how my grands taught me to um Buy stuff without having to charge. There were stores that specialized in in layaways. Half the store would be a, a warehouse for people who were buying, you know, a, a nice a coat or, or or outfit that they just had to have. But you you come in and you pay pay you know weekly an amount, and that way you didn't go into debt, but you'd have that item uh, for when you wanted it. Uh, you know, after you paid it off. But the idea of buying food like that. Anyway, let me get back into this article. Um buy now pay later referred to in the industry as BNPL is a new spin on the concept of layaway. It allows uh, consumers to get the product up front as opposed to waiting <laughs> at the end of the layaway process divide the payment into installment and pay over a longer period of time with little or no interest as long as they make the payments on time the common bnpl option includes something called afterpay and something called these are our app apps karna and affirm and they're all uh, traded uh on this, the new york stock exchange in the first two months of 2023, the share of online grocery orders made by using Buy Now, Pay Later grew by 40% compared to the same period a year ago. And this is according to new data that was released by Adobe Analytics this week. The overall rise in BNPL online orders mean line grew by 10% over the same period and Overall online BNPL revenue fell by 19%, meaning that the average dollar amount of each order fell. This trend may be partly due to the fact that Americans are simply spending more on groceries online. Online grocery spending grew by nearly 27% year over year, and it's now an 8.4 billion industry as of February of this year. Other categories are also popular for people buying now and paying later. Home furnishing purchases grew by 38% the first two months of the year. Apparel up by 8%. However, electronic purchases made by BNPL fell by 14%, according to Adobe. And that might have something to do with the fact that the technology sector is laying off people because I think a lot of us got oversaturated in electronics when we were locked up because we were locked up in our homes the last few years due to COVID. And now we're going out more. So maybe we're not needing to spend so much on electronics, but that's just my, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm not able to back that up with anything other than what I believe. <clears throat> Apparel was the largest care- category that consumers use for BNPL from uh, 2019 to 2021, and that was according to a survey that was conducted and released by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau last September. Apparel orders made up more than 50% of all orders using BNPL payment method in 2021, according to that survey. Electronic sporting goods, jewelry uh, accounted for about 11%, while everyday BNPL orders, including groceries, accounted for only 1% back in 2021. So why are people using BNPL now for groceries? High prices are driving consumers towards BNPL services. That's according to Adobe Research. The rise in grocery orders using the service is also a sign that consumers are buying groceries in bulk online and utilizing special promotions. In other words, managing living expenses in more flexible ways. This is according to Vivek Pana, who is a lead analyst of Adobe Digital Insight. Now, the pandemic also drove some grocery shopping online, he added. Inflation rate of 6% in February, more than a year ago, but groceries soared by 10.2% over the same period. This was according to government data. Across all income levels, households are cutting back on spending and finding ways to manage costs, including dining out less and taking advantage of discounts and store promotions. But People who use BNPL for the purchase tend to be more financially distressed than non-users. This is according to a March report that was produced by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They are also more likely to be an active user of other credit products, such as payday loans and credit cards, uh, the report goes on to say. So it's people earning between $20,001 and $50,000 a year, again, as well as blacks, Hispanics, and females that tend to be regular users of this service. Consumer advocates are concerned about the risk associated with these services, which are usually less regulated than the credit card services, and they come with a bunch of opaque fees that it's really hard for the unsophisticated to discern. Like credit cards, uh, BNPL services often charge extremely high interest rates that consumers—and these—this is for consumers who don't pay on time. So they get you in by there not being um, a high interest rate, but if you fall behind, they can drop the hammer on you and you know charge you many, many times uh, over uh, what the. Uh, in quote, usury fees is, are. Okay, while a pay-in-for uh, plan doesn't usually charge interest, longer-term BNPL plans may charge an annual percentage rate of up to 30%. Now, that was according to an article that was in Nerd Wallet in 2022. Fees like for late- or rescheduled payments can range from $1 to $10 and are sometimes capped at 25% of the purchase value, depending on the company. So if you're struggling uh, to pay your bills and to start an emergency fund, you really need to not buy your groceries this way. Um, I, I mean, I easy for me to tell you, you know, what to do uh if you're struggling and you need to put food on the table but I, I this is an example of something that our elected officials need to focus on as opposed to the silliness that they uh they keep talking about you know culture wars and woke stuff people, real people are really hurting people don't usually buy groceries on credit you know, except you know, you might be in the grocery store one day. And you you don't have money. I I usually buy my groceries on my um, debit card uh, because it's a it's a consumable. But if people are having to charge, um, pay for their groceries over time, that's troubling for our whole society. So if you're having these kind of financial issues, you might need to consider, um, you know, filing for bankruptcy or some kind of debt restructuring where you can figure out how to reorganize your, your finances so you won't be, you know, Buying food on credit—that—that uh, that is really, really something. I'm—I'm uh, I'm real. It's depressing to me, but at any rate, we're going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including figuring out how we can utilize our laws, such as the Bankruptcy Code, to help us restructure our debt so that we won't be forced to buy our food on credit and pay 30 percent for something that we flushed down the toilet you know a month ago okay and in as much you know so i'm just going to leave it there for now this i'm sharing this with you because this is very very depressing so we have to figure out a way to move past this so till next time take care bye for now